Ciao, Bella. I am Ronnie and Ryan, love and cosmic coach, and this is the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast. We'll talk about a magical mix of mystical methods, including everything that works to live your best life, grow spiritually, and maybe find love. Open your heart, expand your mind, and connect with spirit. Tune into the magic that is all around you. If you enjoy the show, please give it a thumbs up or write a glowing review and click the bell to subscribe so you'll know when the next episode is available. I offer listeners cosmic coaching and guidance for your spiritual path, psychic, intuitive, or card readings, or learn about your past lives and how they influence your life today with an Akashic Records reading. Learn more at nevertoolate.biz. May good fortune and magic come to all those who listen to the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast. And now, on with the show. In this episode of the Breathe, Love, and Magic podcast, I'll be speaking with Reverend Eugen Bond. She is the host of Enoughism podcast about having enough already wherever you are. She is also the author of Enoughism, This Minimalist Wants More, which highlights interviews with people about their mindfulness path. An ordained reverend, Yugen also has a master's degree in metaphysical sciences. Welcome, Yugen. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. It's it's great to be here. If you saw all the stuff in my office, you would go, hmm, because... I am not a minimalist and I have all these little trinkets, you know, I have like crystals and Buddha heads and dragons. And every time I look at it, I go, all right, you really have to get rid of something. And I go, no, nope. (laughs) I feel like your space is like what my mind looks like on most days. So maybe not my external environment. (laughs) You don't have dragons in your mind, do you? Not usually. (laughs) Okay, good. Let's talk about the magic of real life mindfulness and what does that mean? That's a great question. I think the word magic is important in there. Many times when people think of mindfulness, they think of structure and routine and what am I supposed to do? I heard this phrase online that really resonated with me, kind of echoing across the yoga community and it was about the it girls and it girls are the girls who wake up at 6 a.m. to go meditate and drink that green juice and go take a walk and you know eat their super clean meal and take a run and take a hike and take a bike ride and then they start work. It's very unrealistic for most people. And I think the magic of mindfulness is you could pick and choose pieces of that that fit into your life, that fit into your morning or your evening or even any time in your day. You take little moments to just practice mindfulness. Like one technique I've tried recently, which really helps is, and there are apps, I think that do this too. You can set your alarm on your phone, on your watch, wherever it is for just random times throughout the day. And then whenever it goes off, you just practice gratitude for like 10 seconds. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And you can use cues. So if there's something in your house that always happens, like whenever you hear your kid, like turn the microwave on, you can use audio cues to kind of take a moment to do that too. And that helps just kind of set your routines and you get used to being in that moment throughout the day. 
What a beautiful, simple way of doing that. I love that because yeah. there's not all this rigmarole and structure around how it has to be. You can just set your timer or like you said, pay attention to the garage door going up. I love, I love easy, simple. That really yeah. Helps. Anytime someone honks at you in the car, you practice your mindfulness, <laughs> so whatever it is. Yeah. And that happens a lot, depending yeah. on where you live, right? Yep. Yeah. So you're in the Boston area? I'm in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of honking going on in Boston. That's what I remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, Boston is a very old city, though. If you miss a turn, your GPS goes up by like 20, 30 minutes because there's no way to get around. You have to take the same roads the horses took <laughs> so to get back. <laughs> Yeah, I lived there when I went to grad school, so I'm familiar with the insanity of getting around in Boston. How can you raise your consciousness by becoming more self-aware? That is a good question. It's interesting, raise your consciousness. Raising your consciousness is about taking the energy and that light that's already inside of you that never goes away. That's your, your strength, that feeling that no one can take your happiness and your joy away from you. And honing in on that, that could be something as simple as just practicing gratitude, being grateful for the little things in your day or in your hour that you've done or seen or experienced. That can be something as simple as, wow, I turned on the, the faucet to get water. That's amazing. That is cut amazing. Up, you know, cut open a pomegranate or an orange or a tomato and just look at it and just think about how beautiful it is. And this piece of fruit grew from nature. This orange came from the other side of the country to be where I am. That's amazing. Even today, I saw this Amazon truck and it was just unloading tons and packages, this big complex, just hundreds of people probably live in this building. And I was thinking about all these boxes came from all over the world to be at this exact GPS coordinate spot in the world. It's amazing when you think about it. So raising your consciousness is getting out of your head. I take a lot of walks in the city and I pay attention to all different kinds of people, the homeless the wealthy, the conversations. Do you ever walk and you get kind of lost in someone's conversation, even though you don't know them and you kind of want to keep walking behind them just to figure out what's going on, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it gets you out of your head. And I've, I've found that a lot of times people's conversations that I overhear relate to something in my life. And I'm thinking, oh, this is interesting. Is this some kind of sign? Is this some kind of signal? And when you start raising your consciousness, you'll notice synchronicities all the time. I understand you know, the law of attraction, synchronicities. I used to think about this too. If you're focusing on this, the synchronicities, it's kind of like if you're walking around looking at people with a red shirt and you say, okay, I see red shirts everywhere now because I'm focusing on it. But I believe that the law of attraction, the synchronicities and how that ties into like raising your consciousness, it's, it's very real because what will happen when you start tapping into all of that is you'll start to experience all of these different events and circumstances where you think, well, all of these, this, this is a perfect storm of events that I'd come together for this to happen in my life. And it yeah. happens again and again, where you're like, this is impossible. Like the mathematical odds are just not possible. So that's raising your consciousness. That makes a lot of sense. I know Mel Robbins, who wrote the I-5 Habit, she talks about the reticular activating system. And that is what notices all the red shirts. And that it's like you're setting your brain radar on what you want to see. And then it starts to come up more and more and more. So it's really fascinating how that works and how true it really is. It absolutely happens. So I agree. And I like how you make it all really simple. It doesn't have to be some big process. It could just be 
something simple. I think about raising your consciousness as holding a level of awareness so that you can notice things. Yeah. I think that can make a big difference. And I learned about the idea of looking at an orange or a tomato, whatever it is, and seeing how beautiful it is from a book that Lynn Grabhorn wrote called, excuse me, your life is waiting. And she talked about marveling and marveling over nature. And look at how, how does that flower bud know when to come out and when to start growing and how to unfold and how, you know, it is pretty mind boggling when you think about it, but we don't think about it. We just accept all these things the way they are and we don't even notice. Yeah. But you can start to think about it. Yeah. And then then you go down the rabbit hole, you know? Oh yeah. I was painting the other day, painting a room in my house, and I was taking the outlook cover off of the wall to paint it, and I started thinking about electricity, and it's just, it's just you have all these moments in your life. I mean, even right now, it's like my voice is going through this microphone in live time to bounce off your ears, to come back to my ears, and then someone in the future, which is now the present, is listening to these words, you know, formulating reactions and responses it's wild. Like you start thinking about that. And how do you process that? You can't, you don't, you try. We just accept it. Yeah. So what is the real value of looking at that orange and seeing that it's beautiful? It connects you to all that is. An orange is nature. You know, we are taught that, oh, get, you know, go get out in nature. Go be one with nature. Yeah. It's like, we, we are nature. We, we are, True. you know, I am the deer and the bear and the rock in the sky. We're all the same. We're all in the same habitat. You know, we're just sitting here in our little concrete boxes talking about going out into nature. You know, the squirrel doesn't need, uh, what was I going to say? Um, you know, yesterday I was walking, it was cold. And I thought, wow, you know, the squirrels don't need coats and gloves and mittens and scarves. They're just chilling. They're, they're squirrels. They're just doing their squirrel thing. You know, I couldn't wait to go home and take a hot shower and put the heat on. So you start thinking about that and that orange, you know, you, you think about the patterns and that orange and the patterns in the universe and how that orange relates to black holes and mandalas in tapestries. And when your brain is kind of always on this upward spiral, it gets you out of your head because so much of our lives are meant to keep us down and to keep us in our head. Social media, television, the way the news is reported, it's meant to keep us emoting negatively and reacting negatively. So when you look at the orange, you're kind of going outwards, you're expanding. And the more you do that, the happier you are. And the more you find joy, joy is not so much materialism or success. You know, joy can be connecting to that orange in that moment and feeling like you're a part of something much greater than yourself. Right. Really enjoying the juiciness and the sweetness being in the moment. If you're eating that orange rather than just gobbling it down while you're doing your social media, right? So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your journey to become a minimalist. Sure. I like to call myself a retired material girl. Um, (laughs) That's one of my favorite songs from Madonna, you know, material girl. (laughs) It's a good one. I was raised in the New York city area and I got very used to everyone around me just buying. The shopping is wonderful in that area. It's fantastic. And it was very common for my circle of friends and colleagues to just kind of be very materialistic. So I got into all that. There was one day I was walking around with my designer bag and I just felt stupid. This is like my rent on my arm. Why? This is so dumb. One of the aha moments, I guess, for me was when I was 
I just moved into a new apartment and I was furnishing it and decorating it. And I was looking for something to put on one of my walls. I said, that needs something that needs a picture or a painting or a cool piece of artwork or a bookshelf. I had nothing to put on the bookshelf. It didn't really make sense to buy one. So I'm walking around the store looking for some tchotchke thing. And it was a beautiful summer day. And I walked out, I couldn't find anything. So I walked outside and the sunlight hit me and the sky was so blue. And I said, what am I doing? Walking around the stupid store looking for some plastic tchotchke. This is so stupid. And I had a strong desire to downsize and to live in the city. So I went from tons of square footage in the suburbs to you know not being certain if I could fit all my clothes in my closet without having to get something on wheels to fit the rest of it. So I downsized. I sold and donated and gave away probably 90% of my things, including my car. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. What's amazing is I don't miss really anything. There are some things I've had to repurchase, but for the most part, they've been inexpensive things. And this is over a period of maybe five years or so. It's been very freeing because having less stuff means that I've been able to really think about how I want to spend my days and my time. So, you know, I started a podcast, I wrote a book, got a master's degree. I have like all these projects I'm working on. And it feels really freeing. I still accumulate items. I still want to start a vegetable garden outside. You know, I still, I still enjoy clothing and fashion, but my purchases are very mindful and I will write things down. That I'm thinking about purchasing and really think about it for months. And a lot of times I don't need it anymore or my reason for buying it changes or my values change. And now what I own really reflects like my desire to be a better person or to kind of step into my best self. So, you know, I buy journals to fill up with thoughts. I buy healthy food to fill my body. I buy fashion that reflects how I want to be perceived in the world. So, you know, right now I have a hot pink dress on because I was doing a, a capsule wardrobe for a few years. I thought that's what minimalists were supposed to do. It was all neutral. And I realized this is so boring. I, I don't, this isn't my personality. So boom, now I got a lot of neon in there. All right. Um, it's fun. And that's, that's my style. And I like it a lot. So where did we get this idea that minimalists meant beige and black and gray? That's what the internet told me when I was researching minimalism <laughs> so, oh, and, getting really? in, and getting into it. So, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So a pop of color makes you happy probably, right? It does. And when you go online and you kind of look up the minimalist community, especially on YouTube, maybe not so much now, but prior to COVID, there were a lot of people in like Thailand and Austin and kind of warmer climate places living out of their one suitcase with digital nomads. And I thought, well, that's not really me. I, I have a corporate job. Sometimes I have to go to black tie events. Sometimes I go to yoga retreats. I work remotely, but sometimes I have to wear a suit. Like I, I need all different outfits and different kinds of things to wear. So I did find a couple of minimalists who were similar to me. It was very hard to find, but I found a few where they had kind of rotating closets. And what was interesting is some people, what they'll do is they'll go to a thrift store. They'll buy a whole wardrobe, for like 50 bucks. When it no longer suits them, they'll return it, get most of their money back and then just buy new stuff. If their style is changing a lot. That's fun. So, yeah. 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 That's a lot of fun. What about Marie Kondo? You know, she's all about only keeping the things you love, right? Yeah. What sparks joy? I love Marie Kondo. She's, she's so cute and she's so smart. I actually read her book years ago before I knew what she looked like, before I knew what she sounded like, before I started watching the Netflix show. And I had this image 
of her as just being very militant and very rigid because the tone of the book is, you know, this is how you will organize your sock drawer to improve the quality of your life. You know, you will fold everything with care and, you know, you will ask yourself, does this spark joy? What I liked about it was like, there was some example, I've heard people talk about this too online is like, oh, my, my snow shovel, that doesn't spark joy. I hate that thing, you know, (laughs) but what do I do? She encourages you, well, think about it. If you, if it really is something that you deeply do not like, think about that at, at scale. Like, do I go somewhere warm in the winter? You know, ah. um, do I pay someone to shovel my driveway? Because this item and what it represents doesn't bring me joy. So I believe you could also keep the item, but then also think about your relationship with it. Yeah. That's another way of looking at it for sure. Yeah. Because with a grateful heart, you would say, I might not like snow shoveling, but thank God I have a shovel because what would I do with that? Right. Yeah. I wrote a whole thing on, you know, medium.com about don't talk to me one more minute about Marie Kondo. Uh Uh-oh, here we are. It's been more than one minute. What do we do? It was really funny. No, no, it was fine because (laughs) uh, I just felt like to me, she, my impression was in a way, like you're saying, militant, very demanding and rigid in terms uh, and you have to do this and this and this and this and they have to do it this way and whatever and I was like I had a number of friends who were so sucked in they weren't living their life anymore they were spending all their free time doing Marie Kondo organizing I'm like hello in there hello yeah (laughs) what about your life not your stuff (laughs) you know they were still obsessing over their stuff I'm like I don't think that's the intention No, that's the irony, right? Is you're supposed to focus less on your stuff. And here you are looking at your drawer thinking, do I have six pencils or do I need 12? I don't know. And it's so time consuming, Um, you know. Well, that was my thought. I mean, nothing against poor Marie Kondo. I mean, she has brought joy to many people and her methods really help people. And, you know, she's from a different society where space is really tough in Japan. Everything is multi-purpose. The furniture, it's really fascinating. They have hotels that are like beehives where you climb up a ladder and you crawl into your space that you cannot stand up in. And it's just a sleeping compartment, deck, and you can stay overnight in there. And it's really cheap because it's not a whole hotel room and there's no TV. There's you and the bedding and that's it. You know, this is what life in Japan, it's, there's no space. You need to be mindful about what you're doing. Like in America, we have so much space many times. Not everybody. We do. What kind of perceptions are you shattering now in minimalism? Oh, that's a good question. I want people to understand that minimalism is not where you just declutter your closet and you're done. What really fascinates me is why do you feel good when you declutter? There's this guy on YouTube. I forget his name. I think it was Andrew Deaton. Andrew Ditton. He had a video that actually sparked me to start my Nephism channel because it just triggered all these emotions for me. And it was something like, I'm a minimalist, now what? And I was waiting for someone to talk about that because when I was researching minimalism, kind of going down the rabbit hole online, it was all about how to declutter, how to get rid of your things. And I was at that stage where I had done all that. I had downsized tremendously. And I said, well, now what? I don't see much being published about this, maybe because that doesn't drive clicks. I don't know. But the psychology of it interests me. And I think there's no definition of minimalism. You know, my minimalism might be very different than yours. Yeah. And I think that's okay. You know, if you 
have an expensive hobby like drone vlogging, do that. You know, if you want to have a bunch of journals to write in and they take up uh, space on a bookshelf, do that. Because what minimalism is, is it's about asking yourself, what kinds of items do I need and want in my life that really just help me become the person I want to be? Like, like if you think about in your closet, you probably have some things right now, even people listening, where you're like, oh yeah, I remember I wanted to be a skier one time and I have ski stuff in my closet and I haven't touched in eight years, you know? And if you have that, like go through and declutter it, sell it, do what you have to do and figure out what your new hobbies are. And also be kind to yourself. It's okay to buy something, get excited about it and then never use it. Because maybe in reality, it didn't work out the way you thought it would when you first purchased it and you have the image of what it would be like to open. We're too hard, hard on ourselves. You know, we're evolving. We're, we're growing as people and therefore the things that we own are going to evolve too. So that's totally normal and we should be accepting of that. So was that, is that the more spiritual angle of what you're talking about with minimalism? I think so. I mean, you can definitely get spiritual with it in terms of thinking about how my objects relate to my sense of purpose, my sense of passion. Um, you know, why are we here? I mean, you can really go deep with it. Like there you are on Amazon, like, why are we here? As you're like making this purchase, you know, but when you start kind of going through that process, you just start purchasing more mindfully. And then you get excited when you go to buy things because you're really into it and you're really excited to use it and to, you know, every product has some kind of action associated with it. Like, I want to use this product to, you know, X, Y, Z. And the X, Y, Z is you stepping into a newer, better version of yourself in some way. So it kind of connects things. And that's part of the consciousness that you're more connected to who you are and what you're hoping to achieve or what you want to focus on or what makes you feel good. You're just connecting more to everything as you do it. That's part of the mindfulness. Yeah. And you can start backwards and then uh, move from there. So starting backwards, like, what are my goals? What do I want? Okay. I want to get in really good shape. Okay. I'm going to buy a gym membership. I'm going to buy some workout clothes that make me feel fabulous. I'm going to spend money on good, clean food to fuel my body. I'm going to buy a blender to make smoothies. I, I want to create a beautiful home for myself. Okay, I have a beautiful outdoor space. I'm going to buy some furniture to, uh, to fit four chairs. So one day when I make new friends in this city, I can have four people over, you know? Yeah. So you start thinking that way. And then eventually you start kind of creating your life. Like your, your things start shaping who you are and vice versa. And it becomes really interesting. Like you start growing, you start expanding because of what you have around you. Oh, that's really interesting. So what made you choose Enoughism as the name of your podcast? It was really hard to come up with a name. I wanted one word because, you know, minimalist podcast can't be too long. Got to keep the theme going. Um, Good. I wanted a word that was kind of made up. I just thought it was cool. Like, yeah, it is. I went back and forth. And I wanted something that was kind of catchy, kind of a pun. So this minimalist wants more is the tagline. And I want a minimalist in there because this way you would know immediately what it was about, or at least the idea of it. And enough ism. I mean, ism is a very powerful part of a word. You know, you know activism, racism. There's so many words that, that end in ism. You know, it's kind of about changing and, and being, being change makers. Also trying to Google that like every great name I found already existed in some way. So I was trying to, that's always hard. So I thought it stuck. I thought it was kind of, you know, enoughism. It's like, it's kind of yeah. edgy and you hopefully don't forget it. And I chose to put a hyphen in there 
Actually, it's funny. Someone did did write a one star review on my podcast, uh, criticizing the fact that there was a hyphen in enoughism, which that was interesting. So, oh my gosh, they said something like, "There's no hyphen," and you know, technically correct. However, it was a stylistic choice. So, anyway, the stylistic hyphen, choice. I love that. Good for you. It was, it, and the hyphen is because you know it's like the act of of kind of combining enough with ism. So the hyphen kind of represents you know the mindfulness and kind of when you're in the midst of transformation, because minimalism and mindfulness, it's, it's not like a box you check off. Okay. I was mindful. Good. Check off next, you know, um, <laughs> like you never stop. You, you're, we're always working on ourselves. And most of us have to undo and unthink a lot of what's happened to us. And, and, mm. and we have to on process. So mindfulness is a lot of that. It's a lot of thinking about why we do what we do. Like I just moved and Moving is a wonderful opportunity. Like, you know, when you go to a hotel and you feel all excited, you feel all giddy, you're like in a new space, new city. It's like you have that kind of excitement that you change up your environment. Your habits are different and your sensory overload is different and you're seeing new places and new smells and new tastes. And, you know, you can leverage that every single day, just taking a walk and just finding a different path on the way home or whatever that encourages you to think a little bit differently and to notice new things. Like I like to take different routes when I walk around the city and I'll notice like, wow, this architecture is so interesting. I never noticed this before. You just start looking around and seeing things you never quite paid attention to before. And that also helps get you out of your head, get you out of your mind. You can do it all the time. So when you're out of your head and out of your mind and noticing things, then you feel more connected to what is. Yeah, because you're not putting blame on yourself or thinking about what you should do, what you could do. Why did I do this stupid thing in third grade? That that thought that keeps resonating. You're looking outwards and you're forming new ideas and new connections. I mean, right now, as we're talking, I'm looking up and there's a plane that's like, it's just taking off. It's going over the sky, you know? So I look at that. I think, wow, like, where's that plane going? How many people are on that plane? Like, I I wonder where they're headed and why they're traveling. And, And you start kind of thinking about that and it gets out of your head. You start feeling joyous. You start feeling grateful. Like seeing that plane right now makes me think about the time I went to Air and Space Museum in DC, saw the Wright Brothers uh, that exhibit. Sounds like it makes you curious and curious makes you feel happy. Curiosity is mindfulness. Is it? For sure. Yeah. I mean, look at Elon Musk, you know, all these great leaders, you know, people kind of put them on pedestals, right? Like Tim Cook, Elon Musk, all these quote unquote great leaders, right? A lot of them are very curious, something that a lot of great leaders have in common. I mean, I used to work at a job where I had to research, I was a consultant and I had to research the history of the bottling and packaging industry. I got very interested in it. You know, it was like, like why a perfume bottle is made out of glass versus plastic because the glass feels heavy in your hand and you can charge more money. It's like, oh, that's interesting. So like as I went home after work and I'm like looking around my apartment, like, oh, I have a water bottle. What's this made out of? Oh yeah, this was, this was priced more expensively. I'm, I'm the idiot consumer for thinking it's more expensive because it's made out of glass. So that curiosity, you start going down the rabbit hole, you start thinking about your role in the world. Because when we're not mindful and we have mental health issues, and granted, this is a big blanket statement, clearly, you know, this is just me speaking off the cuff here. But, but I also say this as someone who like so many people has struggled with mental health issues for sure, because the world is a hard place. So getting out of your head and, and getting out and thinking about the world around you and your place in the world around you, that really helps you. You feel strong, you feel secure, you, you feel like you kind of have your feet on the ground a little bit. So that, that's where the curiosity comes into play. All right, cool. I hadn't thought about things that way. So you've certainly brought some new ideas to my attention. That's great. 
Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything else you want to say about minimalism before we talk about your free gift? You made a good point. I want to reiterate that minimalism is not hard. I think we make it a lot harder than it is. Now, granted, it depends on your starting point. You know, I probably had as many hair products at one point as I have toiletries right now, you know, <laughs> so, so uh, I, I know what that, what that mind frame is like, you know, I used to have hair extensions and fake lashes and I used to be full glam every single day. And I still do it every once in a while. It's fun, but you know, it's things like that. It's like, what, you know, what can you carry through? Um, what do you love that will stay with you? Like, for example, as a minimalist, I just moved and I needed to know where my air fryer was. <laughs> like what box is my air fryer in? I love my air fryer so much. That's a value to me. My journal where I write down everything, that's a value to me. I wanted to know where that was when I was moving. That was just as important as my passport, you know? Yeah. So minimalism is really just thinking about what you use and what do you own that you haven't thought about, you haven't touched, you haven't looked at. Is it the exact same thing if you got rid of it versus if it stays there in your closet for another 10 years? Uh, maybe you can give it away to someone who will use it. You know, you're kind of thinking about your items almost as living things as well and almost like as energetic entities. Um, you know, like I have a set of bowls. I don't use them. Well, what if someone at a battered women's shelter really needs bowls? I'm going to go donate them. And you start thinking about that. And then you're decluttering becomes an act of compassion and kindness. And like mm. Marie Kondo you know, she always says to thank your items as you give them oh, away. Sure. And I think that's important because, yeah. you know, you're saying, you know, thank you. I, I decided to purchase you or bring you into my home or I was gifted you or whatever, you being the object you're talking to. And thank you. Thank you for, you know, taking up space in my home and, you know, being there when I needed you. Um, and it's kind of like you're breaking up with someone, um, you know, thank you for <laughs> you know, for giving me everything that I need and I'm going to let you go now, you know, even if you're trashing it because it's dirty or, you know, whatever, it's unsanitary. You can't give it away to someone. So you thank it for your time. And this way, it also changes your relationship when you do bring in new stuff. You also can do it on the flip side and say, thank you for this purchase. Like a great mindfulness exercise, which I tried when I wanted to really start taking my finances very seriously was it's really hard. You go through your credit card statement or your, your checking account or whatever. And you go through every single expense and you look at it and you say, thank you. And you think about every single thing you purchased. So I took an Uber ride to the airport. Thank you. I went to get my taxes done. <laughs> thank you. Uh, it's hard. You know, I, I went to yeah. buy dog food. Thank you. I went to buy new sneakers. Thank you. You go through. And even if it's something more frivolous, like I bought three cups of coffee. Thank you. Well, that's part of gratitude. Yeah. If you're yeah. grateful for all the things and you're taking the time to recognize them, then you're spending more time in gratitude and having appreciation for what you do have. So uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. And it's way better than thinking, you know, why do I always drag my feet and da 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 and all the other nonsense we always think about. This is more intentional because you're focused on something that you're grateful for and something that's helped you, something that you appreciate, something that served you or whatever. So that's a lot better line of thought than all the beating ourselves up that we do over everything you can imagine. And none of that is productive at all, but we do it all the time. So, <laughs> we do. you know, looking at your credit card bill and thanking 
thanking all the items it makes sense. Oprah talked about always saying thank you when she wrote checks for her bill. Thank you for having the money to pay for this. Thank you for having enough money to support myself and to pay my taxes. Thank you for paying my taxes because when I pay those taxes, that's a reflection of how much money I made. It's a great gratitude exercise. Yeah, it really is. I like it a lot. That sounds good. So what yeah. is the free gift that you have for the listeners? My free gift is a 30 minute Reiki session online. I am a Reiki master an energy healer. And if you don't know what Reiki is, it's essentially a meditation and it's something that you do together. It's a really beautiful experience. You might feel waves come over your body. You might uh, see lights, feel heat. Anyway, if you're interested in trying it and you have it before, I'm happy to try it out. Very good. All right. Well, we'll put that in the show notes to make sure that people can find you and let you know they're curious about that and say your website for us so that people can know. It's Iamenoughism.com with no hyphen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just to be clear. All right. Well, thank you so much, Yugen. It was really interesting to talk to you. Something very different, a very different spiritual approach to living life and paying attention to the details and feeling and expressing more gratitude for all that is. And I think it's just beautiful. So thank you so much for sharing your insights and wisdom with us today. You're so welcome. And in the spirit of gratitude, thank you. This is Ronnie and Ryan, love and cosmic coach, thanking you for listening today. If you'd like cosmic coaching and guidance for your spiritual path, a psychic, intuitive, or card reading, or to learn about your past lives and how they influence your life today with an Akashic Records reading, please visit nevertoolate.biz. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up and subscribe and share it with someone that you love. I'll have more about love and magic next time. Until then, this is Ronnie and Ryan hoping you make the most of the love and magic that always surrounds you.